I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Peter Moran. And you're tuned in to listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast or we'll show you something in the tug bay. Hey, Peter. Hey, Aaron. How you doing, man? I am doing pretty good. My uh, my illness is subsiding. I still got a little bit of the sniffles, but uh, just so I can still get a little bit of uh, you know pity from people that are listening to this. But uh, overall, doing better. How about you? Uh, I'm doing well. That'd be kind of weird if uh, you didn't get better, and then I had to do uh, an episode without you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, uh, you know, Aaron would have wanted it this way. He would have wanted me to, to watch Life Force. I, I must carry on. Um, <laughs> I uh, I actually thought about that. Like, if we got into a big uh, fight or, like, some, some mild disagreement that ended our podcast, like, this podcast is over because I don't know what the version of this is where I just talk to myself. Um <laughs> <laughs> about about movies is there a podcast with just one host that's like not that's like move where you're discussing a topic no i don't know how you would i don't know how you would do that like that's the one issue with making a one-man podcast and not making it sound like a book on tape because yeah, like you there's, would, there's like the essayist some... ones where yeah. they're like basically just in a lot of ways, like uh, like the secret history of Hollywood or something, where they're they're reading stuff essentially. Yeah, exactly. And like um, you must remember, this is really good at essentially taking research and article and turning it into a yeah. one man a one woman show. And uh, yeah, I really don't <laughs> the entire the entire show would be. Well, and also the whole reason the whole reason we're doing this podcast is because uh, we wanted an outlet to discuss movies and not have to write anything. So uh, that true. format would not work for us. So, anyways, welcome to our podcast. Um, the, what we're gonna do uh, this week and next week, we're gonna kind of do a twofer. The last couple movies that we saw, uh, neither of us had seen, and now we're gonna change it up a little. Uh, where uh, we're going to do a canon double special. Uh, and what that entails is part of the reason this podcast kind of came together was us kind of talking about uh, that canon documentary, Electric Boogaloo, and talking about some of the films we saw in there that we hadn't seen. And that was really one of the ways that Peter and I started uh, discussing uh, movies and like the type of genre movies that we both uh, like. And so we thought it'd be fun to kind of switch gears a little bit and to talk about movies that one of us has seen before and the other one hasn't. So we're going to start uh, with, a with a, like I said, a canon double feature where we're going to do Life Force this week, which is a movie that I have seen and loved. It's one of my favorite canon pictures. And then next week, what are we doing? Next week, we're doing Death Wish 3, which is one of my most beloved exploitation B-movies. And it is also a canon movie. Uh, Canon picked up the Death Wish series and proceeded to make each one pretty much more ridiculous than the last in the special canon way. And uh, watching Life Force, you you can see canon's mark all over it. It's pretty tremendous. Yeah, and I, uh, I've i said, I said this on some previous podcasts, that, that uh, Life Force is the best thing ever created by humans. Uh, it's a little bit of hyperbole, but uh, when I saw it for the first time just a few months ago, so this isn't like something that was uh, deep in my, my heart, in my cockles for years, and I've always loved it. Yeah, it was something that I watched recently, and it blew me away. And I uh, was immediately, when I was watching the movie, texting Peter and be like, holy shit, I, I need you to watch this movie so that I have someone to talk to about this because this is fucking amazing. And 
I didn't expect that that would be in a podcast format, but here we go. Yeah, and I'm glad that we ended up doing it for this because it is a goofy-ass movie that I don't think has been discussed enough properly. I think it's mostly just remembered as a bad movie, which is really disingenuous. Uh, well, I think, it, it's, it, I think it's mostly remembered for something, and I, I don't want to talk about it yet, but it's kind of it's kind of my big issue with this film's reputation. Not the film itself, but its reputation. Because I feel like it's known for something that is super unfair of the movie or super unfair to the movie and not really representative of what kind of movie it is. So uh, that sounds like a pretty good teaser to me for what we're going to discuss. Man, you're going to entice them all the way through this intro section. Yeah, I'm trying to entice. That's uh, that's my whole game plan in everything from work conversations to uh, talking to my dogs. <laughs> you want this treat? Uh, that's 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 a work conversation. That's a work oh, conversation. Yeah. Yeah. My dogs, I'm like, can you please review this document I put together about your pooping in the house? <laughs> um, it's more of a spreadsheet. Yeah, I try to be extra formal. Uh, dogs, dogs appreciate professionalism. They do. They don't like when you yell at them. No, no. They like when you calmly explain the situation in English. Yeah, and and the people I work with uh, really like treats. So they do. It's uh. Uh, it's, it's, it's mutually exclusive. They, it is dog treats, but you know, I'm not, I'm not one to judge what they like to eat. And also I haven't told them that. So you should clarify that you have, um, sexual human pets and you work in an office full of dogs. Yeah. I work at the pound. Did I not say that? (laughs) (laughs) And then your spreadsheet is code for uh, bones arranged in a square. <laughs> and your your pets happen to be people who are really in, into being dominated, uh, and that just happens to align with your schedule. Yeah, I live in a hostel with business professionals, <laughs> so I, I I can understand how that would be really confusing if yeah, you I, if you didn't know the context of what I just said. But uh, now now that you have all the facts, I think everything probably makes a lot of sense to you. I don't think they have all the facts. <laughs> Just enough. They have enough. See, this is, this is all you need. Who's uh, the master of enticing now? Yeah. So uh, uh, we're going to start with some of our wildly panned opening segments um, <laughs> that people don't care for at all to try to get the ball rolling. Then we're gonna we're gonna head to life force. So the first thing is, and this has been our tradition so far, is to talk about how the the last episode uh, went. I would say it went very well, and let's just leave it there. <laughs> that's that's a great idea. You're you're on the money right there. Yeah, really good. Nothing else to talk about. Uh, if you haven't heard it, it's fantastic. You should listen to it. You should listen to our podcast. Is what I'm yeah. Saying. If you're listening to our podcast, might I recommend listening to our podcast? All right. So moving on. Uh, so uh, my next segment idea and in, in keeping. Uh, so now now I have the dog barking. In the background, I don't know. There's a little bit of my dog uh, barking earlier. Um, oh, maybe they'll join in unison. Yeah, we maybe in the edit they'll they'll sound they'll sound together like those horrible horrible songs. Have you ever? Uh, I don't know why you would. If you could, you could just YouTube any Christmas song with barks. Oh yeah, those are all terrible. Yeah, garbage. It's like torture. <laughs> we will not be reviewing any of them on the show. No. Why? Why would we? 
Like, in what way does that meet our, our show's criteria? That's like saying, like, hey, I had a sandwich yesterday. We will not be reviewing it under any circumstances. I mean, it's only episode three. We should probably outline what we are doing as much as we aren't. Okay, yeah. So no sandwiches will be reviewed. And also no dog, dog barking uh, Christmas special. So, <laughs> yeah, that's it. That'll be it. Anyway, so uh, the, the second segment I wanted to do. This week is a, you know, Peter, last week you had a few games, and I thought they were really fun, question mark, and... Um, Theoretically fun. They, they were very, yeah, in theory, uh, they sounded like great ideas. In practice, they were they were ideas. So More confusing than entertaining. Very confusing. I was lost. So this week I want to do a, a game. Um, is I think it's going to be a little bit of a tough challenge, and it, it fits with our themes week of canon movies. Now, the problem with saying canon movies, it, there's two meanings to canon movies. There is uh, C-A-N-O-N, canon movies, which are movies uh, generally considered great. And then there's canon movies, C-A-N-O-C. <laughs> C-A-N-N-O-N, which is the name of the production company uh, that made movies like Life Force and Death Wish. So I'm going to, uh, you know, Peter Peter likes to think of himself as a, as a cinephile. And uh, I thought it would be fun, Peter, to uh, name some movies and have you tell me whether you think they are uh, canon movies, 1N, or canon movies, 2Ns. And that's how we'll clarify. We'll do 1N, 2Ns. Like this sounds like this sounds like a great game. Yeah, I think it's gonna be tough. I think you're gonna have some trouble now. Uh, just 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 for the sake of this, uh, the canon with one end movies that we're gonna be doing are all uh, part of the Sight and Sound 250 list. So I'm not just deciding what the canon with one end movies are. I am picking uh, picking movies that have been pretty well agreed upon uh, as as classic movies. So I'm gonna name a few movies, and I want you to tell me canon one end. Canon with two ends. You ready? Go ahead. Okay, the first one, uh, Showa. Oh, man. <laughs> Definitely a canon movie. Well, yeah, I mean, there it's a homonym, so mm. you, you have to tell me one end or two ends. One end or two ends. I'm going to say it's a one end canon yep. movie. No, that's correct. But so like the but like Golan and Globus were Israeli dudes, but they had um, no good taste. So the idea of them making a Holocaust drama is uh, fascinating and terrifying. Yeah, I wouldn't call Showa a drama, I guess. But oh yeah, you know, I guess you're right. You you call it whatever you want. Well, yeah, I guess they. I'm saying they would make like a two hour rousing Holocaust drama, and it would be um, a lot of explosions, more explosions that are offensive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so you got one point. Uh, once you get once you get to uh, uh, four points or three, whenever we we get bored of this, uh, that's that's when you win. So all the best uh, games are just, all the best games end when everybody wants to go home. Yeah. Uh, so okay. So the next one uh, is called the Great Skycopter Rescue. Now, the great Skycopter Rescue, is that a uh, canon with one end on the sight and sound list? Or is that a cheap movie made by a production company called Canon with two ends? Hmm. I'm going to go with Canon again. Yeah, again. Uh, that's going to be right no matter what, based on um, based on the fact that... Uh, so what a homonym is, it's a word that sounds the same, uh, but has two different meanings. So like C 
S-E-E, means mm-hmm. that you can, uh, you know, experience something with your eyes. And uh, I, I do not have these definitions in front of me, so um, I'm, I, this is just knowledge that I know personally. Um, this is, and, and then there's... This is grossly successful. Yeah. And then, uh, and then there's a C-S-E-A, which is, uh, you know, like a ocean. So you see, if I was quizzing you about whether you could see something or whether it was, in fact, like the Caspian Sea, um, if you answered C to each of those, you would be right. So the, the 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 most important part here is really clarifying which of the canons you're referring to by, as I said on the onset, um, I hate explaining game show rules this often, but one N or two Ns. I don't get it. I, I feel like you should be able to understand when I just say canon. Okay, I'm going to give you that point because we're trying to get to four and or three. So we're going to go to the next one. Uh, so the next one, uh, now is this a movie that was a um, a cheap production made by uh, an independent Hollywood company or one of the best movies of all times? And that is Some Like It Hot. I'm going to say... Your dog answered uh, canon with two N's. <laughs> And that is incorrect. He barked a third time, which means it's canon with three ends. That is wildly incorrect. That is not even spelling of canon. He's kind of so, stupid. So you're still at two points. We're going to try again. So the next one is uh, The Naked Cage. Ooh, I don't know this one. This is a good, uh, this is a good, uh, good guess. I'm going to say it's a very uh, illustrative title. It can either be like a sad naked cage. The cage. Uh, I haven't seen the movie. The cage expresses no emotions. Yeah, I mean, like a it's sad. A, naked it's a metaphor. It's a sad <laughs> naked cage, like like a poor child locked in a cage, like t- has his clothes taken away from him, starving. They won't even give him a, a little bit of bread and his sustenance to make it through the cold, cold night. Or it could be like, you know, the kind of cages that strippers lock themselves in, which I don't believe have any real retentive value. No, they can get, they can they get, get out, out for- whenever. I mean, really, it could just be a, you don't need a cage in that in that scenario. You could just have like a, you know, some saran wrap. <laughs> it could be anything. It could be any clear, anything that you can really see through, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, I'm going to actually go with, I'm going to go with Canon with two ends. That's correct. Yes. The Naked Cage is a Canon with two N movie. All right. So, Do you have a synopsis or anything for me? My, my, no, I don't. This is just a list I'm looking at. I mean, it's not a can list. Can you guess it's, what it's about? Um, uh, Probably cages. Do you want me to pull up a synopsis? No, I want you to tell... No, no, no. That would be cheating. Now I'm... You can't, you can't I'm, I'm turn around you. the game. <laughs> it's, it's the bonus round where the... Where, yeah, where it's, you... Uh, it's a famous bonus round that's in every game show where... Uh, People get to turn around and ask, ask Alex Trebek. Let, let me ask you, actually, since I, I did click it. Now, I can't tell you the plot because the Wikipedia summary doesn't have one, which always is the sign for a movie that is very good. God. That no one even bothered to update. But let me ask you a question. This is a bonus round. I do have one more uh, one more question for our game proper. So for the Naked Cage, the canon with two N movies, is the protagonist pointing a gun at someone in the poster? <laughs> I actually don't think they knew. Is it a hand-drawn poster? It is a hand-drawn poster. Excuse me, I don't think they know how to make a poster that doesn't involve someone pointing a gun. So, yes. Yep. Affirmatively. 
the bonus round is worth no points, but that is correct. Does the poster feature a cage? Uh, it does, and the it, I, I can see the tagline, which is raw violence and hot rage explode behind bars. Um, so, I got one more, and that is Gettysburg. <laughs> Again, just like Showa, this is uh, the concept of Golan and Globus making a Gettysburg movie is so goddamn appealing, but I'm going to say canon with one, with one N. Uh, incorrect. Uh, it was, it's actually cannon with two ends, but referring to, uh, cannons that fire cannonballs. It is neither on the sight and sound list, nor was it made by the cannon group. This was a, this was a special trick question. Now, I guess if you had said cannon with two ends, I would have had no choice but to give it to you. (laughs) Um, because again, it's a homonym and we've outlined the rules that it's a, that spelling was going to be key here, but... (laughs) So my trick question really could have been a trick on me, but thankfully, you got it wrong. That was about cannonballs and the cannons that fire them. Uh, so you're still three points, and so, uh, but I feel like I gave you uh, enough chances. So we're just going to say you lose the game. You did not get to four. Wow. That was really brutal. Well, cannon, to be honest, uh, Gettysburg was my big finish, so uh, <laughs> um, the fact that you did not get it right just means that you lose the game and we're going to have to move on because I, w- I, I feel like segment. that was my ending joke. The, and the best part about these jokes is you can just keep talking about them. It's important to explain uh, that I thought it was a joke, <laughs> that, I, that I put time into it, that I actually I spent time going, okay – this is going to be a funny quiz. And then I also thought of another funny thing on top of it, uh, which was adding in a third type of cannon. <laughs> so I we can keep – I mean, do you want to spend five minutes uh, going through the process no. of how I came up with this joke? <laughs> <laughs> or do you want to move on to some of your segment ideas? Uh, I have some segment ideas, but I don't think I'm going to be able to top the uh, supreme awkwardness of me trying to <laughs> guess cannon or cannon. I do love it, though. All right, I have a segment idea for you. Okay. Uh, it's not a game this week. I'll come up with more games next week. It's just called uh, Mutual Appreciation, <laughs> and it is where we uh, – or Mutual uh, Master Appreciation. Is this casturbating? This is also known as casturbating. And it is, where, we, we as <laughs> and it is oh. wherein we just profusely thank one another, one another for working on the show. All right, I'm up for casturbating with you. Yeah, so I'd like to start by saying thank you for coming up with such a great segment idea as canon or canon. Uh, it's just really thought out. You even have had a fourth joke thrown in there. Just really top-notch stuff. Well, thank you, Peter. And, you know, I want to thank you uh, for joining me on this podcast week in, week out. To be honest, we are – we you're not you're not only a great host, but you're also uh, one of the two people that I know for sure listens to the show. So I'm not, just, you, I'm not just a member. I'm the president. Yeah, you you are one of our most consistent listeners. We couldn't do it without our listeners, Peter, and that includes you. And uh, I also want to thank you for doing the uh, taking the editing duties so seriously. Thank you. Um, it takes a lot of time to edit, more than I would have expected, which I guess makes sense. It tells you that my brain sometimes doesn't understand big concepts uh, because. <laughs> You know, it's like, well, this will probably take me an hour. Well, the podcast is two hours uh, to start. So how is that going to take you an hour? Yeah. And, you know, editing is tough because um, I have to hear all of your rants, uh, even though they ultimately all get taken out of the show. 
when you go on one of your rants about how Canadians don't know how to dance, and I'm like, all right, well, this one starts at the 29-minute mark and ends at the 37-minute mark, and, you know, I got to listen to all that, mark the times, then delete it. It's a lot of work. It's nice, though, because at that point, you know, you've just gotten a bunch of time back so we can get this uh, in and around 90 minutes. Yeah, that that is the goal. And uh, for you for you listeners at home, uh, Peter actually clarified for the last 15 minutes about why Canadians cannot dance. That has been edited around. I'm cooled off now, though. OK, yeah, I know. Well, it was fun castrating with you. It was a lot of fun castrating with you. I'd like to continue our next segment because there's nothing people love more than two hosts just appreciating each other before the episode even gets rolling. Yeah, I mean, we do a great job. Uh, I'm glad that you guys are listening, but, you know, we're we're doing all the work. All you're doing is not crashing your car while you listen to this. So, Which thanks. I, I don't know how you're not doing it because we're uh, cerebral and yet... Did you, even pronou- did you pronounce that right? That felt really pained. <laughs> Yeah, I think I bit my tongue halfway through that word. We should create a segment where we just yell out, watch out for that car um, at random points during our podcast. And watch out for that car. Well, you can't. That's way too calm. It's just got to be we have to be talking at a normal volume about normal things and then just suddenly uh, mid-sentence yell out, you know, watch out for that car. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That'd be perfect. Yeah. Most people like being um, punked while they're driving their car. Especially when their life is in their hands. Uh, people pe- find the, the higher the stakes of the joke, the funnier it is. Yeah, people get it. It's for smart people. Smart humor. Yeah, I mean, like, our audience is smart enough to know. Yeah. I just don't really like movies all that much. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of sit there. It's weird. You just sit there, you give yourself a full body massage, and you are entertained by moving pictures. I don't know what I don't know what the issue is here. I mostly like movies because I can go and sit in the theater, and then it's dark, and it's quiet, and they have air conditioning, and I get to be around people, but I don't have to talk to them. Oh, you don't talk to people in movie theaters? Well, I mean... How do you know if how do you know if everyone that you just saw the movie with liked it or not? Um, I mean, I usually act, I, I decide while I'm watching it, especially for the first time, when the act breaks are, and then I bring up topics for conversation. Then I'm like, this is probably the end of Act One. I mean, I I just think that like if you're watching a movie with a bunch of people in your living room, like the first thing you do after the movie's over is ask them what they thought of it. So what what's the difference? It's true. It's true. And everybody is game for it, I imagine, in a public theater. I mean, I just think a lot of people's reactions to movies, I mean, I I would never rate a movie Get the Hell Away From Me, but some people just really don't like the movies that they see. <laughs> I just assume at that point, they're so excited about the movie, they have to go home. They're just like... They just don't feel like humans anymore. They have to go get out of public. Yeah, I think they're talking about the movie, though. I think that their review of the movie is... Get like, the hell away from get, me. Get that movie the hell away from me. Now, they're not oh. saying movie. They're just saying get the... But, I mean, the movie's implied. Yeah, the movie's implied. There's a little bit of pronoun confusion, I think, there. There's no pronouns, but... Yeah, there's, there's no confusion. Pro- there's pronoun confusion. There's no pronoun confusion. They're, they're talking about the movie. Um, they're delighted that I ask. Most people are. Why, why else did they choose to watch the movie with me? <clears throat> so let's get into it. Um, we, we, we discussed a lot. So the movie's Life Force. 
in case you were skipping around wildly hoping to find us talk about an actual movie, um, the movie that we are going to be talking about is Life Force, the 1985 movie directed by Toby Hooper. We had a lot of conversations back and forth about how to approach this. We talked about previously that... You know, just like Flash Gordon, it's a very plot-heavy movie. Uh, a ton of shit happens. It is essentially all movies at once. And so we were... It's, we, the last thing we wanted to do was to go through that point by point. So we thought it would be fun to do. I, I'm the one that's seen this movie. I'm the one that's seen this movie twice. I, I am going to attempt to do a 90-second rundown of the plot without looking at anything and see... If I can explain it. Now, the one caveat to this is I am terrible with names. So there is a very good chance that there's a very good chance that I'm just going to say this guy or uh, her or uh, use use other weird pronouns just because I uh, cannot remember the actor's names or cannot remember the or more more likely can't remember the character's names. Um I will you know, be re- I will be referring to the the protagonist or the um, sensible protagonist as uh, Tom Atkins uh, Light. <laughs> He's kind of a Tom Atkins Light. He's like when you when you can't find someone compelling and Tom Atkins isn't available, get this guy. That's a Tom Atkins slam right at the beginning of my podcast. How dare you! Your sense of what the beginning is is very confusing. But uh, <laughs> oh, I figured we'd edit out all everything that came before here. <laughs> just start with me for no reason slamming Todd Mackins. <laughs> Man, that's the rudest thing I've ever heard. Well, now I, I'm gonna make. Now I'm only going to suggest Tom Atkins movies. I like Tom Atkins, but he doesn't have what you know some people would call charisma, <laughs> or a screen presence, or acting ability. Or just, you know, a lot of things that a lot of times that you expect from, you say, the protagonist or the romantic lead of your movie. Um, yeah. But, and I'm saying that this guy is worse. He's like but, the non-union equivalent of Tom Atkins. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. And you're uh, volunteering to take on this movie in 90 seconds and plot-wise is not only going to help speed this episode up, it is a, a brave move because yeah. it is nonsense. I'm really, I, I'm, uh, this isn't one of those podcasts, like I'm really, I'm not looking at my notes, I'm not looking at a Wikipedia summary, I'm just going to go. You don't actually have time in 90 seconds. That is like, I'm just going to try to go as quick as possible. And then we can talk about some broader themes and, and dive deeper into the plot. So here we go. Uh, this is Life Force in 90 seconds. So it's a bunch of astronauts and they are uh, exploring Haley's Comet. Uh, almost immediately they get out to go, I think, to the surface of Haley's Comet for some weird reason. They find a spaceship. They're like, oh, spaceship. No one seems at all at any point concerned. There's a spaceship. They just go explore. Uh, they get inside. They see a bunch of petrified bats. Uh, no one really seems that concerned about that either. Uh, they just notice that there's no more moisture in their body. From there, they go and they find a room with two naked men. Naked is a strong word for the men, but not a strong word and actually almost an understatement for the woman. Then we flash back to uh, to Earth. And the uh, the spaceship crash lands. They are, it doesn't crash land. It's just there, and everyone's dead uh, except the three bodies uh, that are perfectly preserved in these tubes that they found on the comet. From there, they are like, "What's going on with these bodies? Weird!" And then almost immediately, the woman gets out, sucks the life force out of this guy, and he and escapes. Um, everyone's kind of confused by that. They start talking about vampires. Maybe it's a space vampire. Who knows? 
Uh, from this point, uh, the the one guy left on the spaceship, who was our Tom Atkins late character, he's back and he kind of says, yeah, this woman made everyone fall in love with her. Duh. And that was crazy. And eventually someone set fire to the spaceship and I, I set fire to the spaceship to save everyone. I ejected out of the escape pod. And, whoa, that was crazy. I can't believe they're loose. We need to stop them. Uh, from there, they figure out that they are these uh, these three aliens are calling their spaceship to Earth uh, in order to suck out the life force of everyone uh, there. So they're desperately trying to find the girl who has escaped into the countryside uh, so that Under the Skin could eventually rip off that plot later on. Uh, from there, they, find, they end up kind of connecting the dots in a weird way and essentially find Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart is now been infected with the alien girl and uh, Patrick Stewart does some Patrick Stewart stuff. He does call someone a commander at one point, like it's Riker. Uh, they they find out where she is and and, and at this point uh, Tom Atkins light, he's like, I kind of love her, but we need to find them. We need to stop the aliens. Uh, another scientist guy calls them up and is like, hey, guess what happened? I killed one of these other aliens. They're basically vampires. I stabbed them through the heart. Do that with the special steel sword that I have. I am like this is this is what drugs feels like. I'm just gonna tell you because even just trying to keep this in my head uh, <laughs> is is breaking my body down in a way I wasn't expecting. Um, so from there, uh, it's a mad rush to find the woman and also to kill the other aliens. At this point, the alien ship comes. Everyone starts turning into zombies. The movie becomes this awesome zombie movie for a little bit. They end up uh, killing the other alien man that's left. Tom Atkins light ends up finding the woman and she's like, be with me. Uh, they kiss and he shoves a sword through the both of them. And at that point, their life forces uh, or their essence gets sucked back up into the spaceship and the spaceship heads towards the moon and the movie's over. Wow. That was admirable. Percentage wise of like important plot points. What would you give me? I think you hit about 75% of them. 75%. What do you think <laughs> did I you even men- Did you even mention that London was burning down? Well, I mean, you just assume there's a, zo- you know, there's a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> London, <laughs> London's not going to be not on fire in that situation. Oh, God. I... I think you did an admirable job, and I think in the edit, I'm, I want to force you to cut that to 90 seconds. I really, um, maybe it's just because I was talking for a decent amount of time, I really uh, I really started to get dizzy there <laughs> <laughs> at one point. Was it, the bo- was it the booze, or was it your brain trying to access I think information it was my brain, so quickly? I think, that- my, I think it was my brain, like, rejecting the information as nonsensical and thinking I was having some sort of manic episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was your brain being like, like shut no, no, down no, no, he's no, having a waking dream <laughs> no, no no we can't have dementia yet yeah <laughs> we just got a puppy yeah shut it down shut it all down <laughs> so yeah so that's essentially the plot of life force it is so many different movies rolled into one we're gonna talk about that oh my um, god it starts out as alien and then it moves into some sort of sex space vampire movie and then it becomes a a zombie movie and then it becomes like it's an office comedy for a little bit too where they're just it's just a bunch of people having conversations in offices um yeah before we get into any actual plot moments um i want to talk about some bigger things 
I want to talk about this movie's reputation a little bit because the reason that I kind of ignored it for a long time, like I said, the first time I saw it was just a few months ago. It was never on my radar. It's kind of known as the movie where uh, the female villain walks around naked the whole movie. Matilda May. Matilda May. And I kind of feel like it's a weird thing because I almost wish – I think this movie is so good and so much fun that I I, I almost wish that they had just put clothes on her because I kind of think that this movie's current reputation – is harmed by the fact that that's what it's known as. And also, I think that's doing a disservice to the film because while, yeah, there is a lot of nudity, it is not a movie where Matilda May is probably in the movie for 30 minutes of the two-hour runtime. She's probably naked for five minutes, six minutes of actual screen time. So I'm not... So yeah, there is a decent amount of nudity and it's kind of a weird nudity because she is just walking around and going about her business uh, without clothes on. It's not always um, engaging in, in some sort of a sexual encounter or, or you know being peered on or something that you normally would see uh, nudity in an 80s movie. She is just kind of doing things and she's naked. But I, I do feel that... I hate that, and this happened the first time I saw it. I saw, I said to a couple people that I'd seen Life Force, and to get back the response, oh, that's that movie with the naked girl, I, I really, that bums me out. It bums me out that that's the movie's reputation. I agree and disagree. Um, I agree that it's the reputation now is just the fact that it has a beautiful woman who's like pretty much naked the entire movie when she's in it, uh, which is like unfair to how bonkers and how fun the movie is. But I disagree in the sense that I think that sexuality of it as a weapon is part of the message. Like it, it, Obviously, she doesn't have to be fully naked for this to this this effect to work. She's a beautiful enough woman that this could have worked with just like a flicker of her eyes. But she's supposed to be sort of sexy and alluring, and you get the sense that like the scientists aren't putting clothing on her on purpose, and they're suffering because <laughs> of it. Like it's they're making her seduction of these people that much easier. <laughs> putting clothes on her would almost like make her weaker in the first part. But I do think later in the movie, she should have done some sort of like great costume piece because it's not, you get, well, used she to essentially it. does. She, I mean, she, really, she does for the last scenes. Yeah. So like of. there's the, there's a sex scene at the very end, but besides that, besides that from about the point that she disappears off into the field to the very last scene, she is basically in clothes. For the rest of the time you see her, I guess. I guess I also would have less of a problem with it if it was kind of an equal opportunity nudity showcase. The, her two male counterparts, I mean, they go to Austin Power levels of trying to cover up their nudity, and so I think that also kind of gives it this weird. Hey, man, there's a naked chick in this movie. Sheen, without the corresponding, like it's not thematically. <laughs> It feels more like here's a naked chick in this scene because the other two men are supposed to be beautiful. They're supposed to be alluring. They don't they don't go down that avenue that much in the movie because uh, you know they're they're kind of rarely in the movie. But I think even the way they go out of their way to you know not show dick in this movie really I think hurts the thematics of what they were trying to accomplish. I mean they they go they go so far as when they first find them. One of the characters says, "There's two naked males and a female." They don't say, "There's two naked males and a naked female." It's almost like, "Hey, we're not showing, so we need to tell the audience." That the male is also naked. It's true. It's it's not like they're wearing loincloths, but she 
isn't. Like, yeah, I agree. I agree what you're saying with because it could have been sort of an equal opportunity pervert <laughs> movie where it could have objectified both sides. And if you're attract, if you happen to be attracted to these two people or these three people, then it it would work on you as is the, the seduction and the temptation of these sexy aliens would. But I just don't see why the guys are left out of the fun so much. Uh, The movie seems very much targeting men, as genre movies traditionally do. But it's just a little bit disappointing in hindsight because they get so close. There's naked men. Yeah, I mean, mean, they could have... Especially at that first shot where they're kind of shown, they're shown from a distance. The the men, men, the the two men below their waist are clearly, are clearly like almost pixelated, or it's really foggy. But she is like perfectly clear through the glass, naked. <laughs> it's like Toby was like coked out behind the camera, and he like didn't have time to look at anything else. But he was like, no, 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 she's front and center. She's a little bit higher. She's like, she's got prominent nudity. Yeah, it was. It it uh, it wasn't like there weren't. Even even the most mildest opportunities to not just make it feel like it was, hey, we wanted to show this naked chick because naked chicks are cool. And even though I agree with you from a thematic standpoint and I agree with you from it does some interesting things with that. And look, I'm not going to complain about a beautiful naked lady, but I just feel like this movie is so much better than being that movie with with the naked girl. Yeah, it just feels like a missed opportunity. And um yep. and there's a spectrum between like um under the skin, which is like the classiest for so like let's let's do something real quick. Yeah. Um my there's movie is a bunch of movies stitched together, and one of the movies that it is is an under the skin or a species esque. Yeah, I'd species two. Where yeah, where it's about a uh a, a, an alien force who has donned or has already under the form of a beautiful woman and is using that to seduce men and, you know, gain some sort of sustenance or energy from them or something. But as a uh, alien seductress hits the streets movie, there's a spectrum between under the skin, which is very, very aware of... Uh, how it's object like it's very aware of objectification and that's like the whole point of the movie and then there's like species which is like it's creepy because you're supposed to be on the same side as the leering creepy dudes that are just trying to bang natasha henstridge (laughs) and this movie leans definitely way towards more species which is fine but it's more just the fact that it feels like a slightly missed opportunity in that it could have felt progressive for its time if the men were more included or if the movie were just felt more thoughtful about its how it was using sex because it mostly abandons i feel like as an under the skin type movie or a species type movie it mostly abandons that concept yeah and it becomes this weird um becomes this love story between these two people where Tom Atkins light is, is is more like, can I do this? I'm so tempted by this woman who loves me, but I'd be uh, betraying my own species. So it kind of it, it turns away from that in the back half. I also I'm going to I probably need you to explain or this might just be something we leave in the bonkers well, when file. A, when, a, when a man and a woman <laughs> fall in love on a spaceship, as you will. Yep. At a spaceship that has. It's zero gravity figured out. There's some gravity there. Yeah, they just walk around. Yeah, which is like... Even though, I should mention, uh, this budget of this movie, uh, $25 million in 1985. Which is huge. It's huge, and it's on screen. It is on screen. It is absolutely on screen. 
The effects are no joke. This movie, even its zombie effects, are the best zombie effects this side of a Tom Savini movie. Um, it's, it's true. For a movie that's not focused on that stuff, like a Fulci movie does the zombie effects, or a Tom Savini movie does the zombie effects really, really well, but that is front and center. This movie does so many other things. It literally starts as a riff on Alien done by, scripted by Dan O'Bannon. Yeah. <laughs> it literally starts as a riff on Alien or Dark Star, which Dan O'Bannon worked on both of those. And also, for, just for comparison, 25, I mean, 25 million in 1985, also released in 1985, Back to the Future. The budget for that movie was $19 million. And uh, Rambo, uh, First Blood Part Two, also $25 million. So for, for canon films... This is some this is some major league stuff, and I think this I think this the budget is more impressive on this than on Rambo. Or well, wait. that's that's what's so funny is that like so Back to the Future is this family adventure. You know that is it's for the whole family. It's this comedy. It has all these appealing elements. Rambo, uh, First Blood Part Two is a sequel to an amazingly successful movie, and then Life Force, which is. Let's let's see what uh, let's see what cocaine makes. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a total. So Toby Hooper's career post post Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he was sort of the the boy wonder of Hollywood for a little bit, and people just couldn't give up on him, despite the fact that he was apparently behind the scenes kind of a nightmare to deal with. But a lot of it having to do with his coke problems, his gargantuan coke problems. And, and he didn't um, have like the Martin Scorsese cocaine problem, where he made. Uh, amazing films. He he just he just had like a if if you and I started doing cocaine, our work would maybe get more interesting and creative, but uh, maybe not as cohesive as you'd like. Yeah, this movie feels like a coke movie, and and some of that might be projecting because um, it's really easy to do that. Especially on eighty to do, movies, to do like, cocaine. Yeah, it's really easy. To do it's, cocaine. it's super easy. If you can, super easy. if you can breathe in through your nose, you can do <laughs> if cocaine. You just breathe. All you need is to breathe. You need yeah. a dollar and to breathe. You um, can use a Canadian dollar, which is like seventy cents. You don't not need recommended need... though. Oh really? My famous apprehension. Um, again, no one knows about that. So <laughs> it's been edited out. <laughs> it's been edited. Um, I think that that's an easy thing to project on eighties movies to be like. Oh, this feels like such a Coke movie, but like this movie feels like it feels like a cocaine movie. And a lot of that has to do with apparently, um, he not only is this a $25 million movie, this wasn't a movie that he comfortably made for 20 and then blew the other five. Apparently, he like ran out of money multiple times and Golden Globus had to go like bail him out and give him more money. But yeah. Yeah. He, well, uh, he did a couple other. Uh, he signed a three picture deal with them. Yeah. Which is a amazing three picture deal, which is this uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And Invaders from Mars. And Invaders from Mars, which is why Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is a batshit movie just like this, where it's just like lacks any cohesion, but every scene is played at 11. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, and I almost, I maybe, maybe I'm misremembering like this, this but I, but I almost remember him saying something along the lines of that he didn't know when he was ever going to have this opportunity to to make a movie with this budget and with this creative freedom. So he wanted to basically put everything that he's ever wanted on the screen with Life Force, and you can see that. And I'm pretty sure that is a quote from the documentary. It is also possible I made that up. So, it's also possible that even if he did say that, he like made that up later to justify the fact that he was just out of his mind 
So that's like, yeah, yeah, that's what our podcast gives you. It gives you stuff that may or may not be accurate based on uh, the memories of one of the hosts. <laughs> well researched, well researched. But with this sort of movie, it, f- it would feel uh, strange to do a ton of research. Because it's uh, enjoyed as this sort of id scratching moment to moment movie, and it's it's a roller coaster. It's there 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 are multiple points in the movie. Like uh, later in the movie, they li- there's the Patrick Stewart introduction at a asylum, and because I, as soon as they got to the asylum, I was like, oh, this is where they're this is where they're going to make their money back. They're gonna they're gonna have the rest of the movie be in a single asylum that you know might be even reused sets and boy was i wrong yeah have you ever been so happy to be wrong because <laughs> it gets so fucking awesome those uh, last I, 25 minutes i will say that the third act wherein after them they're pursuing so okay they basically run through the under the skin type movie pretty quickly it, re- let's pers- let's actually pause there just for one sec because the whole the whole little ten minute moment of yeah she's taken on this different form and she's um, like finding uh, these guys and like trying to lure them into the, her car or trying to or trying to catch a ride with them it really is like someone now I know under the skin is based on a book but it feels like someone's like hey that's a ten minute idea they didn't do much with in this movie let's blow that up to f- to to feature length. That's kind of like my dream, though, is to become a filmmaker that just remakes movies that were bad, but you... So, if you're saying this is bad, just... No, no. How no. dare you? <laughs> uh, it's uh, Is this an episode of uh, of how, uh, how Dare You and Don't Interrupt Me? Uh, I think it's Don't Correct Me. <clears throat> no, Don't Correct Me. I did interrupt you, though, so if you want to start that segment. So, yeah, I think that the... the the movie has a sort of uh, a quality where there's like segments of it that feel like a little mini movies that you could just take out and make your own movie out of. And that's one of the segments where there's just this body hopping, sexy, like alien force that's just on the run. And yeah, obviously like if this movie didn't directly inspire um, species and under the skin in those movies, then they were at least eating out of the same same, or they're at least drinking the same water because it's kind of a, it's a very interesting concept that I'm glad got a bunch of really great treatments in other yeah. movies. Yeah, and some of that could be so. The couple other big points before we kind of drill down into some specific areas of the plot that either of us want to discuss. So the couple things that I want to note on a on a broader level was that this was based on a book called The Space Vampires, which I for the f- life of me cannot believe that they didn't go with that title being that this was a canon movie like they changed the space vampires to life force i don't know how that's possible either that's like the most exploitational name and and it's like yeah it's cheesy sounding but it's like the movie's kind of cheesy sounding and it's super accurate it's one of those titles it's just like like people bitched about john carter because john carter doesn't tell you anything about the movie (laughs) like life force doesn't either it's true. Space Vampires tells you a fuck ton about the movie. So the other thing is that even though I said Life Force quite a bit in my description of the movie, the movie itself, I think it comes up once. But they do say Life Drain a fuck ton. So I'm still – even even if they decided, hey, we're not going to go with the Space Vampires, too awesome. Let's really tone this down and make it seem more serious. Why did they go with Life Force over Life Drain? Because that's all they fucking talk about is Life Drains in this movie. 
Yeah, and that's like the the macro plot essentially that we find out in the final act when we go back to Burning London is that they're just siphoning souls up into space and they're going to use this chaos. And there's a there's the final act is the coolest part of the movie. It's where the movie just finally you know what? Fuck out. it. Let's let's go through the final act. Yeah, let's go through it. So the so what happens essentially is leading up to that, they're they're gonna they're they're pursuing her, and they find out over the radio our little team of scientists. Which I'll kind of dive into them right now. We're du- we're jumping all over the place with this movie uh, to let ourselves off the hook a little bit. We're jumping off this over this hey, movie. Hey, everyone! Just- everyone got my comprehensive. And well-thought-out plot synopsis. So if, <laughs> even if you haven't seen this movie and you can't follow it based on that, that's on you. Yeah, we're, we're – I think we're going to – I think we're going to recommend that this is a movie you watch first before you uh, listen yeah. to this episode. That, that's good to say an hour and 20 minutes into the I know, podcast. I know, it's just Hey, such a... watch it maybe before <laughs> – and then, and, then and then please re-listen to all of this. <laughs> well, it, it's something where – it's. I mean, I've actually listened to podcasts for like the last five minutes. They're like, "Do you recommend people watch this or not?" That's what how how did this get made does. Um, so, you, I mean, you should watch this just to have your life mildly improved. I know it's 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 very coked out. It's very loose, and so it's more fun to talk about it as bits and pieces. So let's jump right to the end and talk about this as a um as a zombie movie dash sci-fi invasion movie um so the last the last act of the movie i think does a decent tra- does a de- decent job of tying together a lot of disparate elements wherein wherein we had this like slow second act wherein they were pursuing just the girl we'd forgotten about the guys mostly and then on the helicopter back towards London, they find out that London is burning, like, and is really, really fucked up. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's orange skies everywhere. Not all movies that feature apocalyptic scenes feel like the apocalypse is absolutely happening. This, every set design choice, every coloring choice, every special effects choice, I mean, it really feels ominous. Yeah, it's and the use of miniatures is really nice because... There's actual physical objects burning in the frame, which is really fun for this sort of stuff. And I felt a sense of chaotic brutality in this third act where the you see, you know, everyday people running and screaming for their lives from these, these space vampire zombies. And I mean, this might be a good point to kind of take a step back and determine what the hell they are. So yeah, essentially, so ha- I, I had no... So this is kind of explained earlier on that... It's kind of explained, and then they break their own rules on what they are. Yeah, I'm really, you know, I'm racking my brain. It's something along the lines of once they get bit, you know what? Fuck, I I give up. You go. (laughs) It's it's like a hot potato thing where like they get it, and then it's not hot potato at all. They get they get infected, and then they're they're filled with the hunger. But what happens then, they have the hunger and they need to feed immediately. Otherwise, they start Explode to hollow dust. out. Well, okay. So they start to hollow out and they turn into husk-like um, skeletons. That happens so quick. I guess that's why I'm a little bit confused about how it's not just zombies because normal zombies, if they don't feed, they get slow based on the mythos. 
Zombies don't just lose all the moisture in their body immediately and, like, explode upon contact of a solid surface. So it feels like everything would, would be done very quickly, I guess. Yeah, and uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't understand what the big problem is with these guys, except for that normal everyday Londoners aren't prepared to fight them because, like, I feel like they just kind of crumble when you fight them. One of them destroys itself by running at. It's locked up in a crate in a cage, and he destroys himself by running at the bars. I, that's and, my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, it's awesome. It's I, great imagery. And and that is that shows you the lack of real care in showing you how the physics of how the zombie infection works is shows you <laughs> how little sense Toby Hooper had made of the movie in his mind. But because, he's not the but he's not the only one that explodes. Like he so he's uh he sucks up someone and gets his humanity back and they're like, "Well, we should put this guy in a cage." And like really, when I say they get their humanity back, like they really get there. He's just back to his normal self, and everyone else is like, "This seems suspicious." Let's <laughs> let's put him in a cage, and then like immediately he he turns back into a zombie husk. And he's hungry again, and he's hungry again. And he runs at the bars, and then because he has no life force left in his body, uh, he hits the bars and he explodes into dust. So that is like based on you know actually coming. You know he's he has no moisture. He's desiccated. He runs into a solid object and explodes. In a almost jump out of my seat of that was fucking awesome scene. But then there's also this woman later who we, we find out that um, the main uh, female space vampire. Uh, does she have a name? It's just called Space Girl, which is kind of disappointing also on a uh, progressive level where they couldn't even give her like a badass <laughs> like uh, so, like we're gonna, for Lovecraft, the like how Lovecraftian monsters all have cool names. Like yeah. she couldn't even get like one badass name. Space, yeah, Space Girl does feel like really shitty to say. It only so, feels. It would only be cool if it felt intentional. Like they were like this life force doesn't assign. Like if they were trying to do something deeper there, like this life force doesn't assign names, and like it just chose this form to please you. Like why would it, why would she have a proper name? Like it, it begs a lot of questions. Like where she comes from? Was she was she picked? Is she one hundred percent this form no matter what? Which is kind of silly, or is she something that gets formed when they enter the chamber? Like, what? well, she's she's not that form. She basically said, "I became a good-looking lady because that's what you you all wanted to see, and that was the way I was going to gain power." So we don't really know. She doesn't necessarily have. I mean, from from the movie, I think these these people are essentially. The real form is just energy. So are, yeah. you, are you saying that her body, did that come no, from the somewhere? Form is, the real form are bats. <laughs> yeah, I guess they are bats. But then they also <laughs> are energy. They're energy bats. Is this why people th say this is a bad movie? <laughs> what are their names? Who says that? <laughs> I, I should say this. Yeah, again, what, are, what, are their, what are their addresses? Yeah, what are their addresses? You go, I mean, you go back far enough and this becomes totally meaningless. Uh, just because there's so few reviews, but I should say this does have a positive score on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Good, because I think if you're into these sort of kooky throwback sci-fi like thrillers, you're gonna have a lot of fun with this because it's it's not it's not something like um, the the Kaufman Invasion or John Carpenter's The Thing or or Cronenberg's The Fly, where it's this like neat, taut, tight thriller that 
figured out all the elements of an original movie and then remade it into something for a modern audience. This is like taking really modern sensibilities of gore and creature effects and then putting kind of old school sci-fi light shows. It's just kind of it's stitching together um, or like an old school um, sci-fi movies where it's just like a team of scientists that have sort of indistinct roles, but it, the movie is featuring nothing but smart people sitting in rooms talking about the threat. Yeah, that's that's the middle. We don't have a budget. They're going to be wild at the beginning and at the end. The middle of this movie is a lot of is a lot of room sitting. I do want to just so to get back to, to the to the zombies and how there's really no set rules for them. So we mentioned the guy who is a zombie and he runs into the cage. He hits a solid object and he explodes. The woman who, because as we said, we can, we were having trouble identifying what the real form is, but she can the space girl can turn into energy and also possess people. So she possesses this this lady in the countryside. They later find her body dead. And uh, are desiccated, and they bring her to an autopsy table. She just explodes yeah, into true. dust. Like no, there's no nothing touches her, nothing hits her. It's not just hey, they turn into these husks or and are vulnerable. They turn into these husks almost immediately, and then reach a point of desiccation where they just explode into dust clouds. They get more and more brittle as time goes yeah. on. They, for a moment, they kind of reminded me of well, the timing also on the brittleness changes based on drama. Um, this is a movie that trying to follow the plot or the mechanics of what's going on linearly is just going to frustrate you. Yeah, and especially it's weird because, like I said, it's a movie about a team of scientists trying to suss out how this thing works, which usually in a movie like that, like John Carpenter's The Thing, which is an unfair comparison because it's the best horror movie of all time. In John Carpenter's The Thing, it's a team of very smart people sitting down and breaking down this this threat piece by piece by piece so that the audience can understand it, but also so they as smart people can understand it and fight it. This is sort of like the scientists are breaking stuff apart and explaining it to one another, and then the audience is still three steps behind, and then they'll realize something and explain it to one another, and then you're like, oh, I got that an hour ago. Like, the audience well, they, is they not don't lined even... up with the scientists at any point, I don't well, think. Well, no, and they don't even really understand it because they pretty quickly are like, hey, this kind of reminds me of vampires in what they're doing here. Maybe – and someone's like, like space vampires – and the scientist is like, if you want to call it that, sure. But <laughs> we're going to call then, it life force. Yeah. But then they keep discovering things about that everyone else knows about vampires. So you're 100% right because they, they're like, I very early on, say, yeah, I think these are, these kind of seem like vampires. But then they're like, stake through the heart. Uh, and, and, and it seems like they're passing on their vampirism to people. Like, not, none of the stuff that actually uh, is associated with, with vampires. They, so they, they know the word, but they don't know what vampires mean. But they also, there's weird rules in the vampire thing. Like, there's a sequence which I need you to help me parse out as well. I'm fine with the lead vampire being able to break rules because that's, that goes back to Dracula where like the dregs and the, the slaves, the drones, whatever you want to call them below like the king vampire, they all follow different rules than the than the the king vampire and the king vampire can cha shift shapes and can seduce in ways that like a common husk can't 
so I kind of like like how uh, there's that sequ- that that sequence in the helicopter going towards London, wherein the, one of their downed comrades and also Patrick Stewart both bleed blood through the air out of their mouth and nose and eyes, and it forms this like blood clot in the air, and then the blood clot starts to resemble her, and it splashes on the floor, and they're like, "We lost!" Like, yeah, there's a I- fucking weird scene. That- but that's like basically showing that she can break the rules however she wants. And then earlier, the fact that the husks die just trying to run at some bars shows you that they're weak as hell. So I think you're missing a very important part of that scene. And that is Patrick Stewart's already kind of dead and uncon. I think he's dead, actually, at this point uh, because he was possessed with her. And so what happens is, is that all that blood comes out of his mouth. And coalesce into a blood clot. It kind of looks like a heart for a second, and then forms into a version of the of Space Girl that just looks like she's covered in blood. And then she screams at uh, Tom Atkins' light, and uh, and then she explodes. And the part of that scene that you're you're really missing is that it's fucking awesome. And who cares? <laughs> what an oversight. <laughs> um, but like, honestly, it's it's funny that I didn't. So second time watching it, I didn't even like your your points are valid. But this is this is a hundred percent. My my notes for this scene are just they have five exclamation points after each sentences, and it's just describing what happened. It's it's just awesome, and I I guess I mean from a from a story standpoint, it's that she possesses people, but she already left his body in that blue stuff. So it almost just seemed like a vision because it also it also seems that she can come to him in visions that are also kind of real. So maybe this is a bigger question to talk about because I have this to discuss with you. Does she like him? Because I, I actually feel like, yeah, she's trying to, like, I honestly feel like she has a connection to him, as insane as that is. Um, because yeah, he let's is talk just, about their connection. He is just I don't get a, it. <laughs> yeah, he is just a sentient bat of of sweat and heavy breathing. But she loves him, and uh, but I, I honestly think that she has some sort of connection to him. All right, so she has a very confusing line at the end of the movie, which uh, leading up to then, I thought that you were like, why do they have a connection? Does she is she just attached to any human that like is she just is he just sort of like tied to her because she just she's her first glimpse of humanity like i couldn't come up with anything and essentially they said she says because you're one of us when they're joining which is maybe the most confusing mic drop for th- that, like, plot point I've ever heard in a movie. I've seen it twice. Like, I don't even remember that. Yeah, she says, because you're one of us. And it's like... Was it that, so she, he, that he's he, one of us now? I, is, yeah, is it because he's one of us now? Does he have some sort of cosmic connection? Is he some sort of chosen one for their plan? I do not fucking understand it. Well, well that part I kind of get. So, and this this is kind of my general notes of the ending. I'll, I'll just read it. And I... I said, it's one of your standard endings where all the souls are getting sucked up, there's a zombie plague, there's an alien invasion, and you have to rescue the princess to give the princess back her sex energy. <laughs> because Accurate. because that yeah, that is why he's going back there, because he says he says, um, I've taken something from her and she wants it back. Which that she like that he that she transferred in there there many times of uh copulating. You know, that's not how he says it. He says it. I have her sex energy. I need to get it back. Because he is the worst actor. (laughs) He is the most dead fish in this movie. And if it wasn't for all the other weird, kooky British scientists, 
I think it could really sink the movie as a fun experience. Yeah, it doesn't ruin it, but I and to give you an idea, I didn't even notice it the first time. And this time it really there was a second where I thought I was going to get sucked up into how bad every one of his line readings were and how everything was screamed in a tone that made no sense. And there was, you know, like when you when you all of a sudden start circling, oh, wait, am I turning on this movie? You start feeling like maybe this because it just the second time around, it was so omnipresent of just, oh, my God, who thought this guy could be in a movie? I think he's like in a lot of these cult movies. Like, I, I think he I think he had a little career for himself. His name's Steve Steve Railsback. He had a lot of career. He had a career in movies called like Trick or Treats and Escape 2000 and <laughs> Deadly Games. All canon with one end movies. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a fucking terrible actor. And he has this sort of like manic, whiny, sweating energy that could be that's really fun in it's it's really fun in a different actor. Like in like um let's make let's make a really unfair comparison. Like um Frank Sinatra and the Manchurian candidate. <laughs> he's essentially the same character, haunted by the past both is suffering some amnesia and doesn't want to remember what's going on. He's uh, now in this like constant state of anxiety and nightmares and he's just trying to like drown them out. Sinatra balances it by seeming like a, a human being. <laughs> yeah. No, he, <laughs> but, he seems like he's, if you told me that this was his first English language movie or he was deaf, and and did understand how to modulate his voice properly. Both those things, I would believe, at the drop of a hat. Here's the other thing. I don't entirely blame him, even though he's not a good actor. I don't entirely blame him because I think that he choosing to do this manic performance is in keeping with the rest of the movie. Because I think his role calls for it. And I think the movie itself works best when it's skipping over the fault lines of terrible logic and is just going for energy. And when he goes for energy, it should theorize. It's one of those things where it like works in theory. Like in theory. I wouldn't say that it works in theory because the first time I saw it, I think I remember one or two lines like the, she's a masochist, an extreme masochist, like... You know, that were, like, especially forced. But I didn't remember it being... Like I said, there was a point. We should also say that he basically disappears for the movie for 45 minutes, which is to the... Um, which is probably a good thing for the movie because yeah. he's he comes back and, you know, he was the one in the escape pod. I think, honestly, it was the Patrick Stewart scene of him, uh, the blood coming out of his mouth that kind of brought me back and was like, I I'm back into the goofiness. Because there's, like, 10 minutes where he just... He is forcing out every line. Everything sounds like I've never, I've never said words before. I don't understand how they work. He, he must have got the direction. Just yell at the top of your lungs. Don't, don't worry about tone. Just scream things like a madman, uh, even if they don't work in what anyone else is doing in the scene. I, I, I yeah, I, I came I back from the brink pretty quick. But again, to to your point, it's not to the movie's detriment because I didn't fucking notice it the first time. It's true. The movie can if you're if you're watching the movie and enjoying it on a scene by scene basis, like 
not paying attention to the stitching. I could see you ignoring this crazy fucking dude because everything around him is crazier than him. He yeah, is, it's all eleven. In, in no scene is he the craziest thing in the scene. Even yeah. in the scene where, so there's a scene where they he basically, as a scientist, uh, becomes uh, qualified to become a exorcist. <laughs> And he gets to perform an exorcist on Peace 2, on Patrick Stewart. And That's really where they're just yelling someone's face. Yes. And in a scene wherein he should have sunk the scene because it is nothing but him yelling at an unconscious person. <laughs> it still kind of works because they've decided to fill the scene with this blue. We should talk about this blue light. It's just like painted over the frames, and yeah, it, it, you know what it kind of reminds me of. It uh, reminds me of the scene in Ghostbusters where they it's very um, Ghostbusters, yeah. where they empty out where the Walter Peck releases out all the ghost energy. It, yes, it reminded me of that um, that level of quality special effect, just just blue instead of magenta or whatever it was. That's it. Yeah, that's it. True. I think it's a the the soul swimming around stuff. Like depending on your your tolerance for. Uh, soul magic kind of shit in these movies uh is the soul magical stuff looks really good as it is oh yeah those scenes of just every like the life force getting now again i'm saying life force i'm i'm saying it more than the movie ever did but the the life force getting sucked up um of everyone's souls looks great you know i never saw the movie skyline but uh, from the trailers of Skyline, it kind of looks like what they were trying to do there. So we may be able to mark Skyline down as a movie that also stole from this. <laughs> I I I will I'm willing to believe that. But yeah, so that 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 exorcism of Patrick Stewart scene. Yeah, he's just yelling in his face. And the one thing I wanted to note about that scene before we step away from it is that. The scene plays it with, um, he's looking at Patrick Stewart and he's seeing the space girl who's trapped inside <laughs> yeah. of him. And then there's like a scene where he's being drawn to her because he's, like we said earlier, he has some sort of connection with her that we were not able to suss out at all. <laughs> if you came to this podcast for answers, you are going to be super, mis- super uh, disappointed. And also, if you go into the movie or do it, if you're looking for answers in a canon movie, what are you doing with your life? It's true. It's true. You're you're taking fan theory to a new level if you come up with anything. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where he's being drawn into her, but he's being drawn into her, but he's in a dude's body. So, like, the movie has a little bit of gay panic horror. Oh, wherein, my God, yeah. Wherein... Uh, sorry, a lot of bit of gay panic horror where him giving into... Where uh, not Tom Adkins giving into her temptation, the temptation of this evil space space vampire is played on equal grounds with him not wanting to kiss a dude. Well, also, so he does, he ends up kissing Patrick Stewart. Oh, yeah. And that's when the other two scientists that are there are like, we need to stop this. This has gone too far. (laughs) This exorcism has gone too far. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, like, it's, now shit's got crazy. I can't believe he did this. We need to, so they pull him off Patrick Stewart. It should be noted that this is after there's blue shit flying around the room. Like, you know, the wind effects are kicking up everything. Those two scientist guys are like, this is just all part of the process. <laughs> and then he, he leans in for like, not even an open mouth kiss. Just like a, it's a kiss on the lips, but it's just a like type thing. It's a face embrace. It's a face embrace. And everyone's like, we need to, we need to put an end to this. <laughs> no and, more. 
And uh, you know, our quiet it's, British sensibilities will not allow this. It's funny because the first time, again, the first time I saw it, it didn't read as gay panic to me because I was just kind of sucked up in the scene. And from the specter of 2016, it just seems like, oh, they stopped the exorcism. Like for some, you know, I didn't really follow in my head that, oh, they stopped it here because this, this was when it went too far. But I bet you audiences in 1985 totally got what they were going for because to them, Seeing a guy kiss another guy in a lot of respects probably would have been like, oh, whoa, this is too far. Thank God those two scientists stepped in and pulled him off it. So it's kind of funny where the gay panic of the scene, which is very, very present, I should say, was almost lost on me as someone who, you know, that 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 Uh, doesn't even hate. Yeah, it doesn't read. It doesn't like it doesn't read to me. So I, in general, I think that he's a strange, strange character. We were first introduced to the guy, our non-Tom Atkins, our lead guy, because the movie decides to show him, introduce him on a expedition, um, but to the Haley's Comet, like you said, which is funny because like apparently people were really scared of Haley's Comet. So uh, much so, there's an entire news report that essentially just tells you what ancient people thought of comments, and then speculates whether the space crew is dead. (laughs) Um, Which, you know, not a great news report, even if it's a local affiliate. It's true. It's true. It's it's sort of like, um, well... You could just report on the comet, or you can report on the, the astronaut. It's like they have no regard for astronauts' <laughs> families. No, it's just uh, ancient people thought that comets were bringers of doom. Uh, maybe not so crazy, now that we don't know where the spaceship is. They could be all dead. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, another movie that was scared of Halley's Comet um, was Night of the Comet. Oh, that, and... one features a, that one features a comet? Actually, you'd be surprised. It does. Interesting. Um, You'd figure maybe maybe it was like a theoretical comet, but yeah, they they got their comet budget up and uh, really took care of it. I thought it was the the soap they used to clean bathtubs. I don't understand this reference. Is this one of your old man references? I'm not even sure if that's a real product or a TV (laughs) show product. (laughs) But I seem to think that comet was something that you like shook at bathtubs to clean it. (laughs) It could could not be. Could be a product that I made up. I was going to go for that or uh, the full house... Uh, dog's name. <laughs> I went with the bathroom cleaner. I should have went with. Oh, I didn't know they made a movie about the uh, the Tanner's Golden Retriever. <laughs> I... Also, a a up to date reference for all the kids out there. <laughs> exactly. Spoiler for next week, though. Um, yeah, but Night of the Night of the uh, Night of the Comet's a great movie that was also. Uh, similarly terrified of Haley's Comet that it was going to – or making fun of um, Comet Terror, uh, essentially. Yeah, I would, like- I would put that one in the um, – I would put that one in the making fun of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or at least using it as a plot device. I think Toby Hooper might have legitimately been scared of uh, Haley's Comet, though. Yeah, probably also the DEA. <laughs> <laughs> Probably also running out of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> His greatest fear, running out of cocaine. Number two, DEA. Number <laughs> yeah. third, that fucking comet that won't leave him alone. Um, um, well, I suppose what it, well, the comet came in 86, so my guess is it was more like, let's... This is going to be a big movie for us. Um, let's really tap into what the audience wants. And it's so funny, because like... I didn't know Haley. I only know Haley's Comet was a thing from like Night of the Comet and this and stories your grandpappy told you. 
<laughs> no, my parents, my dad is an like is a space nut, and he's never told me. You were about- gonna say astronomer, and then you went with space nut. <laughs> so. Is it? Is it? You were like, oh, I forgot. My dad doesn't have a job, and is instead just a crazy person with uh, with maps of the solar system in his basement. Never mind. Not uh, reading not- people's palms is a job, Aaron. <laughs> uh, not in, no. not in astronomy. No, not like a pseudoscience way. My dad's just really into space in general. All dads are and civil war so in space. It's, it's true, and uh, he he he's never told me any Haley's comet stories. So uh, it's a cultural touchstone that has. Uh, Faded with time. <laughs> yeah. We, sh- we should say that when they go in, like, this space crew, they roll with the fucking punches because they are there just to study. Um, they're there just to study the comet, and they're like, hey, I guess there's a spaceship. Well, let's go in there then. Like, I don't know how NASA trains their astronauts, <laughs> but they- they're just – they're really chill about everything. Everything is like, well, let's go do that then. Well, they're also they're – of- they're out of radio contact, so they do what Marines would do in a movie where they're like – uh, we see a big alien bug, uh, report back, and then they just get static back, and they're like, well, we're gonna go, uh, fuck, fuck with the big bug, alright? And then they get static back, <laughs> and then as soon as, like, they're running away, then uh, finally HQ responds. It's that sort of thing where they, they have, uh, interference on the radio before the radio gets smashed. They have interference on the radio, and they can't, uh, reach anybody, so they're just like, they make the executive decision to move forward, which is, I'm fine with that. I mean, that's like... But they are pretty, like, then they run, for scientists, and they run into what is clearly a giant bat. They're like, it kind of reminds me of a bat. <laughs> Like there's there's no features changed. I wish from that, a bat. I wish that that guy had like a name tag that said like whatever his name, like Shepherd or whatever, and then right below it, it just said zoologist. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> visual joke. Yeah, I it's, I love that where it's like, well, we're not going to change anything, but let's pretend that they forgot what bats look like. Come on, Toby. Show a little bit of faith in your uh, your special effects. It's it's kind of like if like someone someone were to. I think it was the size that confused them. So it's sort of like if someone were to maybe maybe shrink an elephant down to dog size and then show it to you, and you're like, that kind of looks like an elephant. No, um, first off, you'd spend the first ten minutes saying "aw." And then you'd be like, it kind of looks like an elephant. And you're like, <laughs> but it's clearly not a normal elephant because elephants don't come in that size. Yeah, maybe, maybe size as as Godzilla as Godzilla nineteen ninety eight taught us size matters. <laughs> but anyways, so um, they're inside there, and they says it. But like, is that something that you can forgive because they're experiencing what is? Movies are really good at underplaying the historical importance of the biggest thing in history happening. A bunch of scientists going out on a routine like comet tracking mission which by the way comets move way the fuck faster than spaceships i don't know how they and also we should note nothing else like this movie takes place in like real 1985 except that they have a space shuttle with artificial gravity that goes and explores comets like nothing else is futuristic it's not it doesn't take place in the future because Haley's comet's there it's just this one area has advanced scientifically and nothing else has and, and, and um it sort of plays off of your theory from last week that this is a universe where one thing exists that's different yeah but um but yeah so a competent space program <laughs> hope you're listening nasa you don't have space shows anymore 
There's like one weird voiceover sequence where they explain some sort of like I forgot about the Nerva system or something. Wherein it's just at the explain, very beginning. They explain why they're not in zero gravity, which like would be fine if the movie were full of little nods like that, or if the movie were in any way realistic and they were just like making a little nod to the science fictioniness of it. It's a moment where it happens where I was like. Is this movie just self-conscious of its budget that they didn't want to have all these scenes with all the actors on wires? But then, but then later, there's all these sequences of the actors on wires when they actually get inside the alien ship. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I don't mean this to be the the least. I get that what we're kind of supposed to do on the podcast is to parse things out, but I don't have, I don't really have an explanation uh, for any of this besides just yeah, here they walk and there they float. <laughs> it's I mean, just a really it's just a really strange thing where they're like the movie felt the need to explain why they were walking which which you know we've gotten kind of used to over time in these movies like most space movies have people just walking around on the deck with no problem it's just an interesting thing because then when they get inside the ship they have some pretty interesting wire work um and one thing i should note about the inside of the ship is it does feel a little bit like um warmed over leftovers because the inside of the ship greatly resembles lv426 from alien yeah it does it's got the eggs everywhere and it, uh but it also has like a it's like they took it's like they took hr yeah it's like they took hr geiger stuff and then they just handed it to uh, a lesser set designer <laughs> and they're like make something kind of like alien and then yeah. and then they were like he's like i made some bats also and they're like cool let's make some bats in the movie we'll, we'll do a bunch of bats how do you feel about <laughs> eggs <Are> you <laughs> eggs so they, by default, look like bats. I should say that, uh, as far as I know, bats do not hatch from eggs. And there's no other feature. Like, in Aliens, um, in Aliens, we find out that the aliens come out of eggs. Like, bats don't. I mean, they're mammals. Now, to be fair, again, this might be one of those things where this is a universe where, yeah, bats do come out of eggs. Yeah, and I, and I mean, it is one of those things where... I wouldn't, you know, as, since you're a bad expert, I wouldn't step on your toes here. Um, I think every week one of us should pretend to be an expert. Like last week, I momentarily uh, tried to throw out some rabbit knowledge. I think every week one of us should pretend to be an expert on I, I tried feature. to edit out as much of that as I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but again, like, like, it's funny to say... I think being dismissive of this movie, because, yeah, as I'm thinking about it here, it's like, why the fuck are there eggs? They're bats. That's dumb. But all I thought about both times I saw it was, hey, this looks pretty goddamn cool. It's true. And it's like the idea that behind all the, the pretty faces that they're in the crystal crystal tubes and such, that they're just um, freaky little bat people yeah. is, is really cool. This is Also, also blue energy, because... It, it's true, and but, it, but but the but the scenes, you know, again, it's it's an easy joke to make. Yeah, who, who knows what they are? But the scenes where their blue energy work, and then the scenes where their bats work, like I, the movie does have like a weird thing where they, it wants to have both grounded, gritty, gross gore. Uh, pardon the alliteration there. Uh, wherein, hey, like, we're, the, we're we're pro alliteration. <laughs> and there's a scene, there's a sequence, there's a, there's a lot of zombie sequences later in the movie where they're showing you know zombie bodies falling apart and you know them having sort of everyday physics to them on occasion, like the bones break and crack and people's faces are falling apart and people's bodies are falling apart, uh, and that sort of everyday gory 
practicality to the effects and then on top of and layered on top of that is the sci-fi craziness so but i think the reason that it works for me is that it's a lot of the sci-fi craziness is tied to her she has all these sci-fi powers like one of the coolest parts of the ending is not zombies just raiding raiding in the streets and eating people it's that there's this there's also this or this like anomalous orb floating through the streets above them just oh, yeah. zapping zapping up loose souls and it is so cool looking in a it's it's like a, that's where the movie blends those gory everyday effects with the higher sort of supernatural ILM light show i think that's where the movie best matches the two yeah i agree and i you know we we haven't talked much about the middle of this movie, and I think that is because it it starts out so strong and it ends so fucking strong. And we should say that whole last the whole last act of the movie is is like a half hour of the orbs flying through the streets, the zombie craziness, Patrick Stewart, the Patrick Stewart blood coming out of his mouth scene. Like it is kind of it turns into nonstop, and it was only watching it you know a second time that it was kind of like. Okay, well, I can see, like, the budget wasn't wasted, but it was front and back loaded. And this middle is a lot of people trying to figure out stuff. Like, there's actually there's actually one of those scenes that they make fun of on TV shows where, so the first male vampire is killed off screen by one of the scientists. He's dead on the table with uh, the giant steel uh, sword through him and we we do not see the scene where he uh gets killed and we just have the scientist call the tom atkins group and just describes just describes what happens like oh it was crazy he was doing all this stuff and then i I figured this out and then i i stabbed him in the heart and you can't use this kind of thing i found that out too you gotta use actual steel iron's not gonna work oh but then i got him like yeah i i have that written down in my notes as this convo is fucking batshit yeah (laughs) but like it's not you don't even stab them through the heart you pierce them through their energy center which is apparently somewhere two inches lower than their heart i don't i don't i don't understand like uh the sequence when uh pierce is gonna shoot him in the heart and then he lowers the gun just a little bit to kill him (laughs) it's like he's they're gonna do a modern staking scene with a gun because, like, Pierce is too confident, too capable to, like, get taken down by this, like, one vampire in this one scene in a lab. So they have to have Pierce knock this vampire out. <laughs> so so he points the gun at his heart and he immediately, like, adjusts the information that the guy provided to him about how to kill vampires. And, like, it makes you wonder how much agency these people have. Like, I don't, I don't get that. Trend. Yeah, he, he, he's the guy that also like was like, hey, I'm pretty sure these are basically vampires. And then it's like, how are they spreading? You know, the the consistent characterization, or you know, I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, which was scene to scene. This movie is so fucking entertaining and good and engaging that you really forget that nothing really pieces together well. But it's it's very easy to get sucked in. Now, if you're not sucked in. This movie must be just a just a giant piece of garbage and torture. The middle the middle section must feel interminable if you're not sucked in. Yeah, because it's one thing that doesn't follow after another. And I, I, I kind of wrote I wrote some notes that just is kind of my admittance that okay, here's my criticisms of a movie that I had previously said was, you know, the best thing ever, which is it is a little long. 
Now, we should say that we've only seen the director's cut. I've only seen the director's cut, which apparently wasn't available in this country till 1998, but has kind of been the standard release since then. So if you saw this in the theaters... it still feels like it's missing 40 minutes. It does. It does still. I don't even know. I actually have the Blu-ray, and at some point I do want to watch the 100-minute version because... But it does feel a little overlong. It feels like they go over explaining stuff too much, you know. And again, these... I should say these are my second time note. I mentioned this already that I, I really did get sucked into how bad the actor was. It, it it was a little funny and entertaining the first time. And I kind of got sucked into a little bit of a hole of, I don't want to hear you yell again. And, and the beginning and the ending are really the best parts of the movie. And it does drag in the middle. Yeah. I think that it has huge second act problems like a lot of these horror movies do where the first act is is, is super chewy mystery. Because that's the thing about movies in general is that when movies are everything but possibility, they're super interesting and mysterious. But then movies inevitably get less interesting as they go. Mm -hmm. And the second act needs to really ramp it up in order to keep audiences interested. And this movie doesn't quite do that purely because of its insane lack of comprehensibility. Yeah. So, like, in the second act, you feel like you're just having shit thrown at you. And then by the third act, it actually does tie together a lot of the old elements. All of a sudden, it ties together a lot it bring, of... It brings back a lot of stuff. Yeah, and, and all the, like, certain characters die. Like the, yeah, like the, the research... The research scientist who's like basically an expert on um, vampires. The one we were just talking about his his uh, staking by bullet scene. <laughs> he he uh, gives Kane, one of our two hero, our lead heroes, uh, a scene. You know, he's telling they're hunting for the lead vampire because if they kill her, they can end all this. The ending of the movie has like a lot of. It ties together characters that we didn't really know before, and it has just, like, a lot of action in it. So it's it's inevitably more fun because it has a propulsive energy that, like I said, sort of skips over the cracks. And, and even the stuff that I mentioned that were – that are my criticisms on the second watch, they don't apply to the first – like, I didn't notice any of that. If you would have said, what was your problem with the movie, what you know, just speaking objectively, what were some issues that you had, not everything always works, even in movies you loved, I, I didn't notice any of this shit. That's how that's how sucked in I was. And it's only with a rewatch that you can kind of, you can kind of look and say – like, you, you have a more critical eye. But from a first watch, I was, I was just – wildly sucked into what was going on so let's um let's do this since we've kind of skipped around um let's just go through our notes and just if there's any like you know 30 second things that we haven't touched on let's let's go through there because i i i think the skipping around method has been really effective but you know there may be a couple things that some of us have missed so just going through my notes for some other things I will say that so all the kissing scenes are super gross. <laughs> they are super gross, and and uh, Railsback is not helpful there. No, and I I mean the Space Girl is not like she's doing most of because she's the aggressor in this movie. Uh, she's doing most of the kissing, and I I hope that Toby Hooper gave gave her the direction to. Uh, to kiss like you're life forcing him. I don't know what that means, but that's what it looks like. It's true. She just kisses how uh, I imagine um, Italians do in real life. Just all 100% passion. Yeah. <laughs> no I mean, practicality, it, it, just passion. 
It's the try to it's the try to eat try to eat their face kissing. Yeah, it's it's lovely. I have, one, I have one comment for super early on that I missed. There's a scene where they're going through part of the tunnel, and because they're going through the tunnel of the spaceship, the, the alien spaceship, and because it's a um, Dan O'Bannon LV-426 kind of looking ship, it looks very vaginal. It's even sort of pink. Uh, Railsback says, I feel like I've been here before. and Man, I missed all this. And uh, I was like... And I, I, I remember later, that scene, but realizing I, later now, I'm like, oh, dude, this is like a reference to him somehow being connected to her. Instead, I read it at the time as a sex reference, oh. like he's, <laughs> or a birth I bet, reference. I've been here. Yeah, high five, high five, other astronauts, <laughs> or a birth reference. I guess. I mean, I guess all the astronauts were pervs if what they imagined inside the space crystals was a uh, uh, naked people. I also have um, Bukowski was played by a young Tony Blair, right? <laughs> it's true. That it's really I mean, weird. that was there was actually a split second the first time I watched it that I'm like, is that is that Tony Blair? It's Tony Blair, the Schwarzenegger of uh, British of Britain. But uh, I also had um, uh, yeah. If we're talking about the same guy, is he the guy Bukowski? Kind of, He's kind of he, like he, he almost is like. He's almost the fake protagonist. He is, the, and then the movie while, gets while, uh, ripped while, away. He gets ripped away from him. He's a good dude who sounds like he has one of those voices that's so deep and so inside his body. It sounds like uh, you can hear all the meat coming up when yeah. he talks. Like it, it sounds like his voice is like and his vocal cords are like three feet lower than they actually are. Yeah, his vocal cords are in his uh, butt. <laughs> it would make sense because his voice his voice sounds like it's echoing through his entire body rather than just his throat. It's really strange. That's the type of humor we offer, folks. Tune in every <laughs> week. No, um, uh, yeah, he uh, he really he really should have been the lead because when Tom uh, Tom Atkins light comes back, he basically disappears. I don't even remember if he died. I don't know what happened to him. He just he just stops. He's like the uh, the guy from the room that just stops being in the movie at some point. <laughs> That's 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 well. I suppose he had to go be prime minister of England. Oh, um, that's it. He had to go. He had to go the P, be the PM. Yep. Uh, the only other note, a quick note, is that they do mention. So they they mention very early on that even before uh, Tom Atkins' light comes back, they're like, "Hey, this alien ship is coming," and then they don't fucking mention it again until the alien ship shows up, which is probably a result of bad uh, story editing. And, you know, you really should keep the audience reminding that, hey, remember that giant umbrella-looking alien ship? It's coming to Earth because they basically go like an hour and ten minutes without mentioning it again. It works really, really well. When that when, – because you, you do forget about it. You're like, oh, yeah, there's an alien. And then it comes and the soul-sucking happens and everything goes nuts in like an instant. And that's an amazing payoff uh, I think basically on accident. I agree. I think that, and I think that the movie all of a sudden, the the shots of burning London are is such a breath of fresh air for the movie. <laughs> Especially if you're like you're watching this movie for a purpose, which is to see like chaos and action and and such. At that point in the movie, you're just like, oh yes. Yeah, and it, it it stays it stays pretty crazy. So to wrap up, I only had one other thing to discuss. Um, which is the funny thing about this movie, and I kind of I kind of made reference to this earlier, which is like it's a huge budget for Life Force. It's a huge budget for 1985. 
Mm-hmm. Like the Bond movie from 1985 was 30 million. This was 25. All of those other movies have like an audience they were targeting. On any level, I don't know who the fuck they thought this movie was for. Besides I, like us. Yeah, I think the movie is specifically for us. Cause it's, 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 but it's a kitchen sink approach where it's five movies stitched together. So I bet you it makes – I haven't watched any trailers, but I bet you it makes a kick-ass trailer, dude. Well, I mean the reason that this – the reason I ended up watching this so quick was Electric Boogaloo, which you know goes through a ton of canon movies. There was probably only a minute clip from this and it was like, I need to see – this movie as soon as possible and i blind bought the dvd from amazon i agree with you it definitely makes a kick-ass trailer but i just i really don't see what because if if they're trying to make this giant space adventure which sometimes it is in this big sci-fi movie gratuitous nudity and gore and all that other stuff doesn't fit from a marketing standpoint and definitely the rating wouldn't have fit um and if they were trying to make this this hardcore, you know, let's have nudity, let's have gore, let's have all this stuff. That that doesn't fit with a $25 million budget because those movies don't make that much. It's true. And I, I don't I don't know who it's targeting because it's not family friendly like a lot of these movies would be. And it's not a strictly a gore movie. And it's not, it wouldn't, I don't think it would scratch sci-fi fans uh, itch. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not scary. It has. It has. It's, it's, it's gory, a horror movie but it, that's not scary. <laughs> yeah, it's gory, but it has absolutely no scares, um, or even like attempts at scares. I mean, it was in the when I used to work at a video store. It was in the sci-fi section. It was not in the horror section. The 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 poster is like the spaceship approaching a planet. It on no level is really targeted towards. And I imagine if you watch this, is like, oh, this is going to be a cool sci-fi movie. You're going to be like you said, wildly disappointed. Yeah, and I think you need to watch it as a um, bad shit thrill ride. I think that's the the function in which it works best. Yeah, I mean, I again, I could not be happier this movie exists. This was like finding treasure. It was like finding treasure that I was hyper aware of. Working in a video store, I knew this case. You know, it didn't it didn't hold any appeal. There was no no one ever said anything positive about it. It was the naked girl movie that almost made you feel bad for watching it because yeah. of the because of the context. So it was like finding treasure that was in front of your face the entire time. I I totally agree, dude. Um, so if, it, if you somehow made it through this entire podcast and you haven't seen Life Force, get your shit together. Yeah, what are you doing? Why why did you why did you listen to all this? I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. You but know yeah. what? Don't listen to our podcast ever again. I know our <laughs> title is is listen to our podcast. For you, pretend there's a don't. As far as we're concerned, you the podcast is, As far as you're concerned, the podcast is over. Yeah. But yeah, this was our messiest episode yet, which I think is uh, appropriate to the uh, actual movie that we covered. I think it worked well to kind of uh, go over the plot, talk about bigger themes, and then uh, and then just kind of talk about whatever the fuck we wanted. It's true. It is truly a strange, coked out vision of what a genre movie is it's yeah it's five different movies loosely stitched together and i think that our discussion tried to find some threads through it yeah and i think the other way to handle it would have been just saying well this was awesome and this was awesome and this was awesome 
when I redo my my top movie list, this this is finding a way on there. Like, <laughs> I I cannot express to you. I probably should have said this at the beginning, not near, during closing thoughts. When when I was about to rewatch this movie, I felt like a little kid. Like I was excited when the titles came up. You know, you see a movie that you love in theaters as a child, and then it finally comes out on home video, and you get to watch it again. That is honestly how I felt watching this movie last night again because it I god I just I fucking love this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it really did scratch an itch and I'm glad you suggested it. Um and also this is going to get us kind of headed in a good direction for the next couple weeks of shows. Um Well next next week is our two-parter of this because this um this was the this was our canon double feature. This is the I've seen it Peter hasn't uh, and next week, uh, my guess is that Peter will be the hyped up enthusiast as we talk about Death Wish Three. Why'd your voice change? I can do it again. Yeah. Do, no. 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 Do it again, but I'm not going to edit any of this. <laughs> yeah. No. De- good. Take two. Death Wish Three. Yeah, it was the same. Can you say it a different? Can you say it normally, or or is it so seeped into your bones? No, it's 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 all deep in there. I don't know if I can do it normally. Let me try again. Okay. Death Wish 3. No, that sounded like a normal person. <laughs> yeah, no, that's how people talk. Um, no, we're, we're covering Death Wish 3, which is uh, one of my favorite movies ever. and is a canon movie, and it's something Aaron hasn't seen yet. And I haven't seen any of the Death Wish movies. So, and I'm I not actually gonna... recommend this one over all of them, and I don't really... like. I like the other one. I'll get into it more next week, but I like... I think their ugliness outweighs their fun. And then uh, the following week, we're kind of we're kind of moving on. We're doing our canon one-two punch, and then we're going into our first episode with a guest, which is going to be super exciting. And hopefully, uh, they understand our rambling uh, nature because holy shit, do we have kind of a rambling nature? But we're gonna be we're gonna be joined by a special guest, fan favorite. Noted Godzilla expert and all around awesome person, Zach Groton. Yeah, we're really excited to have Zach on the show. We, Zach is uh, someone. And, else and what is what is Zach going to be talking about with us? Zach is a uh, like you said a noted Godzilla expert, and he uh, we met him through the Dissolve. So we've been friends with Zach uh, at the same time that we've been friends. Zach is going to be discussing Godzilla versus Hedora or Godzilla versus a Smog Monster, which is something that I have not seen. Yeah, Peter has not seen it, and we're going to really get it. Like, Zach, I have a very uh, long history with the Godzilla uh, franchise. I spent a good part of my high school years trying to watch all of them. Zach is the only other person that I've ever met that knows Godzilla, not even as much as me, but to a level that is way beyond. Like, he he kept up with it. He he actually, I'll, I'll tease this now, he kind of re-excited my uh, old high school love of Godzilla based on an article that he wrote that we'll be talking about. But, yeah, we are, we are, I'm excited to cover the movie. It's one of my favorite Godzilla movies, and I am really excited to have Zach on for it. Yeah, so we'll have, we'll have three people that are very enthusiastic about the series in general, but I haven't watched the movie yet, so I can't tell you if I like it or not. Kind of hoping that you hate it, just because I think that'll be a a, a dynamic where uh, you and I are arguing like old friends while someone is very confused. <laughs> it's, it's true. I think I think Zach is expecting a love fest, so an ambush would be really, really wonderful for him. And I'd be on the guest side. You would be 
And then, you know, as a joke for episode six, Zach and I would host it. And then, like, <laughs> and you, you could call in angrily and demand your job back. And then as a joke, like, you guys just host it forever. Yeah. <laughs> is, is this a conversation about your Tuesday nights being, uh being taken up now no i got no i got i got no place else i'd rather be aaron than talking about life force with you it's good to hear i, I need to hear that today that was so, one of those things that came out of that was one of those things that came out of my mouth and i was like can i amp this sentence up to make it sound less sarcastic and i was like nope can't do it just gotta ride this out and hope he knows i meant it <laughs> i i know you mean it um and that's uh that's our love fest this is we're bringing back uh, casturbating to end the episode. Oh yeah, <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, dude. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun, uh, and yeah, next week we're going to continue the insanity. So yeah. stay tuned. I have been and will continue to be Aaron Armstrong, and I have and always will be Peter Moran, and we'll see you next time on Listen to Our Podcast. Goodbye. Yeah, he's forever one of us. Stand forever one of us. He'll save with a mighty hand every moment, every child, every man. He's a mighty plan.